Good morning. What a privilege to worship the Lord together this morning. Let's start out our time and pray. Father, we just thank you that, that you sent your only son Jesus to die for us, to shed his blood as the spotless and blameless Lamb of God. And I thank you that because, Jesus, you were forsaken, that we are forgiven. And Lord, what an amazing concept. I just thank you, God, that we can gather here this morning because of the shed blood of Christ. We just pray, God, that, that your spirit would fill us up. And Lord, that you would teach us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, a couple of things. First of all, I'm Dan Hardy, and I'm one of your pastors. I wanted to clear up a couple things from last week. Last week, we started on the first part of the message called Our Mission. Talked a little bit about just the history of the church, where we've come from in the last six years, and where we're headed. And one of the last slides I showed was was kind of an announcement that, that the Lord, working through the men in this church, the leaders, has brought me on full-time. So I'm, by God's grace, in, in full-time at Windsor Community Church, which I'm very thankful for. And one of the things that I had said was... You know, I've never felt a calling to full-time vocational ministry. And I think I said, and I still don't. <laughs> I want to assure you that from the bottom of my heart, that there is nothing I'd rather be doing. There's nothing on this planet I'd rather be doing than getting paid for being a pastor at Windsor Community Church. And I feel a clear calling on my life for 2008. And I don't have a clue what it looks like past 2008. And that's really what I wanted to articulate, is that nine months ago, I didn't feel the calling. Two years from now, you know, some guys have said, you know what, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. So that is it. For those of you that were wondering, you know, it's, it's just, yeah, I'm, I'm rambling a bit. I want to bring up four guys. You guys come up here for a second. We talked a little bit about last week, who we are as a church, what we're a part of. And what our vision is, we're a part of a bigger network of churches. We're a part of something called the Crossway Chapel. And we have a partner church in the Czech Republic, Satine Czech Republic. We have a plant that we're a part of in Wilmington, North Carolina. Our mother church in Fort Collins, Mountain View Community Church. Of course, Crossway Chapel of Greeley. And then a church in Oregon as well. I just forgot the name of the church. Thank you very much, Creekside Community Church. And these gentlemen... Clark Richardson is the lead pastor. Greg is a deacon. I don't know you guys' last names. Mike is a pastor in training, an upcoming leader, heads youth. And Mike is elder pastor as well of Grace Church of the Valley in a suburb of Chicago. And this network of churches, we're relationally connected. It's not a denomination where there's no buy-in, where you got to send money and that type of thing. We do have kind of a strategies paper where there is doctrinal minimums that people need to agree to and kind of a philosophy of ministry. Clark has known Tom Harkis, who really started the Crossway Chapel movement in 1993. Clark has known Tom for 20 years. And Mike has as well. Very good. And they've known my son-in-law for a long time as well, which is exciting. I wish I would have known that. I could have got some scoop on him. From you guys. Was he? Okay. And so we're relationally connected, and they are out here. For, they came out Friday morning. They're leaving early tomorrow morning. And it's basically, for lack of a better term, a due diligence time. Clark has known us, but Greg and Mike and Mike have not known us. So I just want to take a minute and pray for these guys. They have a passion to see people come to genuine saving faith in the Lord, and they have a passion to disciple men and women. 
in loving and serving the Lord. You know, whether they formally join us and change their name to Crossway Chapel of the Valley, whether it becomes Crossway Chapel or becomes a Grace Church of the Valley, a Crossway Chapel Church, or whether they don't do anything with the name, it's all good. We're relationally connected. We love these guys. And I just wanted you to get a face. And can I get a couple of you guys in leadership, deacons, elders, to come up and let's lay hands on these guys. Would you guys just come right here? Father, we just bless you and praise you. We thank you that you are the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow. You're the same God in Colorado as you are in the Czech Republic and Chicago, even in Las Vegas, Lord. And we praise you that you are working in these men. You're working in their body. And I pray, God, your blessing on them. I pray, God, that you would keep them dependent on you and that they would never lean on their own understanding. God, that they would never go forward without your clear prompting of their hearts. I thank you for the plurality of leadership that you've given them. I thank you for the tight-knit body that you have given them. And I pray, God, that your great name would be made known in the valley where their church is. We love you, Father, and we thank you for these men. It's in Christ's special name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. Say hello to them after the service. Last week, we talked a little bit about the tyranny of the urgent and how, even as believers, we can put the urgent and the crisis matters ahead of what's really important. In life, it can be continually the tail wagging the proverbial dog. When we're busy, and life is busy, uh, but when we're not prioritizing the things that are important, things can easily get off track. Today is really the second part of last week's message, and we're going to talk about our mission. And our mission at Windsor Community Church is leading people into a what? With Jesus Christ. Leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And you know, about about two months ago, Chris Richards, Danny Evans, myself, a couple of guys from Mountain View, a couple of guys from Greeley went through a training called FLN. And it's focused Leadership Network. And the whole purpose of it was was for us to understand the way that the Lord has made us individually and what our talents are, what our gifts are. And at the end of the time, it was a two-day time, we were supposed to establish a mission statement for our own life. Understanding that God has made each of us uniquely. He's knit us together in our mother's wombs fearfully and wonderfully. And that he's called us to a very specific task as individuals. And most of us haven't thought through that. I know I really haven't. You know, I just kind of just kind of go through life, wherever life takes me. And today, we're going to talk about, as Christians, as a church, what is our biblical mandate? What is our purpose and what is our mission? And I'm going to start by telling you what it is not. And the first three things might ruffle some feathers, but stay with me because we're going to get to what it's really all about. And the first thing that our mission as a church is not is Christian fellowship. Hang with me. Christian fellowship is good. It's essential. I long for more of it. But it's not our primary responsibility. If it was, God would save us, and he would just jet us to heaven immediately where fellowship is perfect. The second thing that it is not, the second thing that our mission and purpose is not, is praise and worship. Hang with me. We are called to praise and worship the worthy one, 24-7. But it's not our primary responsibility. If it was, God would have saved us and taken us right to heaven. 
The real question is, is why are we here? Because worship and praise is going to be nonstop, perfect, and uninterrupted in heaven. The third thing that it is not, lock the door. Lock, Chris, stand by the door. Our primary mission and purpose is not to teach and learn the Word. The Word of God is living and active. We need it for everything that comes out of our mouth. God's Word talks about being a factious man, about sharing our opinions rather than sharing God's Word. God's Word is critical. We're called to teach it and learn it that we might understand As good and vital as God's Word is in learning it and teaching it, it's not our primary responsibility. Open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. These verses are known as the Great Commission. The Great Commission. This, as believers, this is our mission statement. This really is the Scripture that goes hand in hand with our man-made mission statement here at Windsor Community Church to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's read it. But the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee. First of all, let me paint the picture. What's happened here is Christ has been crucified. He rose from the dead. He ran into the disciples outside of Jerusalem, and he said, meet me in Galilee. And he said, tell all the other disciples about it. There's 11 apostles, because we know what happened to Judas. Matthias is not on the scene yet. And he told them to tell others, and meet me in Galilee. So that's where we're at. But the 11 disciples, or apostles, proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Our primary responsibility, our mission, if you will, is in verse 19. It's to make disciples. Those are the last words that Jesus gave to his followers. The reason we are left here is in order that we might make disciples of all nations. Jesus came, the Bible says, to seek and to save that which is lost. In John 17, 18, it's Christ's closing prayer to his Father. And he says, as thou didst send me into the world, Father, I also have sent them into the world. This is what it means to make disciples, to make followers of Christ. If this, in fact, is our mission... How do we do it? I mean, so making disciples, what does that mean? I would submit to you that there's five steps to making disciples. Number one, availability. It says in verse 16, but the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee. Jesus said, meet me there. He didn't tell them why. He didn't tell them exactly where. It says, but the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. So availability is the first key to making disciples. Everything starts at this particular point. If we're not available, God can't use us. Now at this point, it doesn't take somebody who is necessarily deep in Greek language to understand that when Jesus said, meet me in the mountain of Galilee, some people showed up. 
He said, meet me there. And they showed up. Effective ministry as believers is showing up. Not, not Sunday morning I'm talking about. Not even a community group. But wherever it is that the Lord is prompting your heart and calling you. I don't know how many times the Lord has prompted my heart over the years to speak something to somebody or to show up at somebody's doorstep and I was just too preoccupied. It starts with being available. Somebody once said the greatest ability is availability. The next one, the next key to effective discipleship is worship. You've got to be available, number one. And you've got to be in love with Jesus, number two. It says in verse 17, and when they saw him, they what? They worshipped him. And it says some were doubtful. And it's not talking about the 11 disciples or apostles that were doubtful. It's talking about some of the 500 that are referred to in 1 Corinthians 15. The second word, the second key worship, gives us a necessary ingredient for effective discipleship. It literally means that they prostrated themselves on the ground. That's what it literally means here, is that when they worshipped him, they were, they were on their face worshipping him. They could not stand before him. They were in awe of him, they loved him, they trusted him, they affirmed their praise to him. To worship, brothers and sisters, is to acknowledge the deity, to acknowledge his majesty, to acknowledge his sovereignty, to acknowledge his glory. This is essential, I believe, in the life of one who would be a disciple maker. You know, so often when I have found that, that I'm not willing to go share Christ with somebody, or I'm fearful, or I'm lazy, it's because there's nothing in me to pour out. I'm not spending focused time with the Lord, worshiping Him and loving Him. I'm convinced that it is only when you are consumed with love and adoring praise to Christ, and you are literally controlled by that, are you going to step out and share Christ. If I really love the Lord Jesus Christ with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, then His cause is my passion, right? If I really love Him with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, there's going to be an outpouring of my heart. Where's your heart? Brothers and sisters, where's your heart? If your heart is set on Christ, then Christ is all. His kingdom is all. His cause is all. His purpose is all you live for. And it is really muddled, isn't it, on this, in America especially. There's so many things competing for our time, competing for our resources, competing for our talents, that I really think that, I know I do, and I think we do as the church in America, not Windsor Community Church, but the Universal Church in America, we've got our priorities mixed up. In order to make disciples, you have to start with availability, then you have to proceed to worship. Third key is submission, or participation, if you will. God is working. Are you willing to submit yourself to Him? Are you willing to come alongside and participate? And this is verse 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. Now, this particular authority is not an authority like a great conqueror or a president who's been elected, who earns their authority, if you will. Their authority comes with the office. This is innate authority. This is God. This is based on who he is, not what he has done. 
It says all authority, all authority, no exceptions. He has authority over everything. Total sovereign right to rule has been given to him by God. It talks about this in Ephesians 1, Philippians 2, and Colossians 1. We are called, brothers and sisters, to humbly submit to his authority. We don't evangelize in a vacuum. We shouldn't do it on a whim. Evangelism is the overflow of these three great spiritual attitudes. Availability, worship, and submission. Show me a willing, worshiping, humble heart, and I'll show you an instrument that God will use. I want to be used. You know what? And I just, it's not my notes, but you know, I, I think some of us are called to be more, well, he says it in his words, some have the gift of evangelism. But we're all called to make disciples. We're all called, as it says in, in Acts chapter 1, to witness. We're all called to do that. You know, when I look back through my life, you know, there's a grand total of three people that I know of that the Lord used me to lead to Christ. I know guys and gals that it's into three figures. It's hundreds of people. You know, and that's, it's really God's business, right? It's God who draws people. It's God who removes the scales from the eyes. It's God who softens the heart of stone. But don't you long to see your neighbors and your family and your coworkers come to know the true living God of the universe so that they can spend an eternity with you in heaven? Worshiping the sovereign God, fellowshipping together. Do you want that? I do. I really want that. As we spoke about last week, so many of us are caught up in the insane bouncing from one urgent matter to the other, spending our time, our life, our talent, our energy, our money, our resources on stuff that will burn rather than things that are important and everlasting. It's the tyranny of the urgent. And Joanne Tofsley came up to me after the service with this little booklet called The Tyranny of the Urgent. And it's a great little book. I ordered 50 of them. And hopefully they'll be in next week. They're just like little booklets. And so we'll hand those out next week. But it's, I really believe that the enemy wants to use the tyranny of the urgent. What we really feel like is urgent in crisis to keep us from focusing on what's important. We wonder why God doesn't use us to make disciples. We have to back up and start with these three attitudes. Each of us needs to do a heart check. Do you have a willing heart? Are you available? Am I listening to the voice of God? Am I communing with Him on a daily basis, a minute-by-minute basis? Am I hearing Him speak through the Spirit? Do I have a worshiping heart? Do I have a humble heart submitting to the privilege of sharing in His kingdom? The fourth key to making disciples is obedience. Obedience. We see that in verses 19 in the first part of of verse 20. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Obedience is an essential element. Go therefore. Therefore is a good place for this transition. It's saying this, if you're available, if you're worshipful, if you're submissive, Then what? Then go. And here we come directly in contact with obedience. We have a command in this verse, and the command, by the way, is not to go. Go is a participle. The verb here is 
Make disciples. That's the command. That's the command. And I think we've missed that. The word go is not an imperative. It's a participle. There's three participles here. It's the going. It's the baptizing. And then there's one in verse 20. It's the teaching. But the command is what? Is to make disciples. Going, he says, that's very obvious. I mean, how are we going to make disciples of all nations unless we go? We got to go. I mean, he says, he says go. Going is very obvious. The assumption is they're not coming to us. We got to go to them. Those three participles put us in touch with a very simple command to make disciples of all nations and describe how it is to be done. Let's take a look at the word teaching. One of the three participles, going, baptizing, and teaching. In verse 20, making disciples involves teaching them to observe all that I commanded. Sometimes we think making disciples is just leading people to Christ. It goes past that. In verse 20, making disciples involves teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Making a disciple doesn't end when they believe. It ends at the end. It ends when they're face-to-face with Christ someday. We've got a task at hand, and that is to teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. They are to be instructed. That is a primary job of pastors. It says in Ephesians that we're to equip the saints. And we take that very seriously here. Now listen to this. Making disciples involves going, preaching the gospel, including the forgiveness of sins, calling for saving faith, baptism. Baptism is important. It's an outward sign of an inward reality. There's nothing that saves you through baptism, but there's an identification with a new life in Christ when we get baptized. And then it involves instructing them to be obedient to God's commandments. We are calling people to an overt public identification with Jesus Christ and a lifelong obedience to his commands. Why else would you become a learner? Why else would you become a learner of Christ if you can't apply the principles? It talks in James about the blessing coming from the doing, not from the hearing. And I think sometimes in the church in America today, we got such a plethora of information, of sermons. You know, as I've been preparing the last couple of weeks, I've been reading sermons, I've been listening to sermons. And it's on the radio, it's everywhere. And if we're not careful, we can be a trap of information with no outpouring. We're to go to those we don't know and call them to a public confession with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and identification that Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. And we are then to call them to a lifelong obedience. And you know what? We're all in the flesh. I mean, this whole obedience thing, I think sometimes it kind of makes the hair stand up and end of our neck. But we're called to obedience. And you know what? We've got the power to obey. And when we blow it, we got the forgiveness to keep trying again and again by the power of the Holy Spirit. The fifth key to making disciples is power. The second half of verse 20 says, And lo, behold, I am with you always. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Power. Such a noble responsibility, such an eternal task, demands something beyond our own resources. I can't do it. I can't do it. You can't do it. You can't muster up enough strength to obey the Lord, 
to open your mouth and share Christ. But He is with you. He has left the great comforter and counselor, the deposit, the promise of Christ's return. That's the Holy Spirit that gives us power. Acts 1 states, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Do you believe it? Do you believe that you got the living God inside of you? Well, you can overcome any sin. He's with you always in the form of the Holy Spirit. What a great truth. Those are the words, beloved, that lie behind the life of effective discipleship and evangelization. Availability, worship, submission, obedience, and power. You know, there's really two parts to this message. One is, is that really what is our mission all about? And I think we miss it a lot. I know I miss it a lot. Because I get caught up in peripheral stuff when it's all about making disciples. That's why we're here on this earth. If the job was done, we're out of here. He doesn't need us, but he chooses to use us. Now, how do we stay on target with our mission? I've asked myself that over the last couple of weeks. We've talked about it a lot as a pastor board and, and leadership. Okay, so we've, so we've got a mission statement. Well, what does that mean? If you don't evaluate it, if you don't take a look at how you're doing as a church, what good is it to have a mission? In every area of life, if we don't have a method or a plan of evaluating our progress, it's just a matter of time that we are way off track. Do you know what I'm talking about? If we don't have a way of evaluating the progress of our kids in school, evaluating how our marriage is doing, you know, we all, in our jobs, we've got evaluations. Our bosses evaluate us. And, and it's a good tool because without evaluation, we're going to be way off track. As a church, it's even more critical because churches can go decades being off track and not even know it. And then they wake up one day and they're off track and go, my goodness, how do we right this ship? Churches don't necessarily go out of business. Families go out of business. If the shepherding and parenting of your child is off track, there's going to be consequences. If your marriage is off track, there's going to be consequences. If a tr- and you're going to know it right away, aren't you? If a church is off track, and w- sometimes we just don't know it. And by the way, I think we're on track. I just want to tell you that. I, I believe, by God's grace, we're on track. And I know my preaching style, just a, just a, just a side note, is, is like it just, it, it's condemning. That's not my heart here. I feel like we're on track. We're on track in a big way. But you need to help us, and we need to help you stay on track. And we need to have some questions to ask to make sure that we're on track going forward. Our mission, leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, the words are not very tangible. What does that mean? It's hard to quantify. In fact, counting things is never really a good way to determine if we're on track. For example, if I say, you know, hey, Brother, how's your family doing? You don't say, fine, there's five of us. <laughs> How are you doing in your marriage? Oh, great, there's two of us. It's just not a good way to, to, it's not a good barometer of how we're doing. We praise the Lord for new people, particularly new body parts that are plugging in, that we've been praying for, for all the gaps that we've got in service. And we thank the Lord for anybody that's here today that has walked into this place wondering what a relationship with Jesus Christ is all about. So, yeah, we'd love to have 
more numbers, but we don't want to measure our mission and how we're doing in, in making disciples by numbers. I think the church in America, well, in fact, I know even in my flesh, <laughs> but I was talking to a brother about this earlier. You know, we like to see numbers. It kind of goes, yeah, we're doing something right. <clears throat> what you set up as your evaluation tool becomes your target. For the church that says baptisms is our evaluation mark. Well, they're going to they're going to baptize everything that moves. Sometimes three or four times. <laughs> Churches that that numbers are important. I mean, they're going to be doing mass mailings and have advertisements in the paper every day. Here's the question: How do we know how we're doing in leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ? Isn't that a great question? How are we doing? How do we know if we're on target? How do we know if we've begun to drift off focus? If things have come out of focus a bit? I would submit to you the best way to do this is to have several questions that we can ask ourselves on a periodic basis. And did you know that questions that you and I ask most often indicate what's important to us? Hey, honey, what's for dinner? (laughs) Is that all the food you're going to give me? You know, you find yourself asking these questions, and that's what's important. Is dinner ready? My boys, I ask them all the time, don't I, Mitch? How's school? How's your grades? How's soccer? Have they got a new coach yet? Keeping your grade point average up? Does the dorm food still stink? These questions that I ask my boys, what does it tell them? It tells them what's important to me. And and there's a little bit of conviction here, and I shared a little bit of it last week, because you know what? I would rather be asking a lot more, hey, hey buddy, how are you and Jesus doing? How's your time in the Word? You know, are, you got some guys at school that are that, that you're able to sharpen each other? Yeah, the, I want to, I mean, yeah, I'm paying for the grades. I care about the grades. But that shouldn't be the sole focus. What we ask each other, What we ask our brides, what we ask our kids, tells them what's most important to us. Does that make sense? Dads, think about this. Just think about it. If you'd like to change what people around you focus on, and if you're a leader in business, home, or the church, wherever you're a leader, this applies to you too, ladies, the questions you ask most often as a leader will set the direction of the people who are following you. So I came up with, and I put in my parenthesis, borrowed and stole the following 12 questions that I think reflects what is most important to this church. It will help us determine if we are staying on track with our mission, and it helps us establish some gauges on the dashboard of this church to tell when we're running low on fuel, when we're overheating, when the battery's low. The first question is are we a gospel or a Christ-centered church? First and foremost. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews first and also to the Greek. I love this quote from D.A. Carson. It says, Whenever the periphery is in danger of replacing the center, we are not far removed from idolatry. You know, it's okay to have a style of reaching people. You know, being a missional church or being a tractional church. 
You know, there's churches that are, that are charismatic. There's churches that are reformed, Arminian, Calvinist, whatever. But a lot of that, as important as it is, and we want to pay attention to it, we don't want the fact that we're missional versus being attractional be our focus. The focus is the gospel, and everything else is on the peripheral. Number two, are we true to God's word? These are gauges on the dashboard of the church. Are we true to God's word? Colossians 1.25 says, Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. We want to be true to God's word here. We've got four guys that open the word, Chris, myself, Dean, and Danny. And right now what we're doing is we're, we're splitting the time, 25% of the time. And our main goal is to cut it straight. You're going to get different styles from each of us. But our prayer is that it doesn't matter who's opening the word of God, it doesn't matter who it is, that your hearts would be soft and moldable to receive the word implanted. Titus 3.10 says, reject a factious man after a first and second warning. You know what factious means? It means a man that shares his opinions over God's word. I don't want to be that guy. I don't think any of us want to be that. I just want to encourage us as a body to be word-focused. That when we're sitting around in community groups, when we're sitting around in coffee shops, that we're examining the word together like it says the noble Bereans did in Acts. You know what? If you can pass them without being distracted, there are some sheets in the front, and it's all these questions. And if you would take some and pass them back and take these home with you, it could be a great exercise for community groups. It could be a great devotion time for families. Great questions to just ask yourselves to find out if we're on track. The third question, are we a praying church? Are we a praying church? Acts 4, 24 through 25, and it says this, And when they heard this, when they heard that people came to Christ, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is Thou who didst make the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. You know, and that is one thing where I really feel like as leadership, we've, we've just kind of blown it. We haven't prioritized it. And I would love, and I know that Dean and Chris and Danny would love to see us prioritize more time as a body. Just praying, just crying out to the Lord for souls in Windsor, Colorado, in Chicago, in Wilmington, in Satine, Czech Republic, to remotest parts of the earth, Boulder, Colorado. Hope nobody's from Boulder. So we want to be a praying church. Fourth question, are people being saved? You know, at the end of the day, we've got no control over that. Paul says that I became all things to all men that I might save some. He realized in a very humble way that he had a part in participating with the Lord. He had a part in that somehow. We know from God's word that it is is him. He is the author and completer, finisher of of our faith. And it is he who draws But if people aren't being saved as a result of this ministry called Windsor Community Church, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. And I think of all these points, this is one that there might be, this could be some challenge on. And I would love to be challenged on it if you're challenging me with the word. 
So I really, I really believe you know, there's churches that are that are being equipped and they're and they're praising God and all that, but no, they exist for years without people coming to Christ. And if we really believe that our mission is to make disciples, that's why we're here. What are we doing? So that goes with the praying part up front. Acts two forty seven says, praising God. And having favor with all people. This was the church, the first church of Acts. They were praising God. They were having favor with all people. That's talking about people that were not believers. And the Lord was adding to their numbers. Day by day, those were being saved. Do you want that? I really want that. Our passion is not to rob believers from other churches. We call it sheep swapping. You know, there's always the most popular church on the block. New churches come in, people go over there. And, you know, Lord knows that if people come that are believers and they feel like the Lord is calling them here, we're all about that. But as some of you know, we've sent you back to your other churches to make sure that you've done business and you left for the right reasons. We would love nothing more than to see this church three times the size that grew from conversion growth. People come to truth, saving faith. Fifth question, are people's priorities changing in accordance with the scripture? This is huge. We can't see people's hearts. So the best way to see how people are growing is to see and observe their priorities change. My priorities should be different than they were last month, last year, 10 years from now. And our desire is to see people's priorities change. It says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The measure of a changed life is not the sincerity of the prayer. It's not even an accountability. It's an an actual change. That was convicting to me. It's really convicting to me. Because there's certain aspects of my life that I'm asking for accountability on nonstop. And I've got guys praying for me. That is good. I need it. But at the end of the day, if I'm not changing, there's something wrong. And I know that something wrong is called the flesh. But the flesh is not more powerful than the living spirit of God inside me to overcome it. Sixth question, are we developing purposeful relationships with unbelievers? That's a gauge. First Corinthians 10, give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. Are we developing purposeful relationships with unbelievers? One of our core values that we're going to talk about next week is relational evangelism. We desire to build relationships, redemptive relationships with people that God's put in our sphere of influence. Seventh, are we a light in our community? If the church closed, if these doors closed, would Windsor miss us? Would would Windsor miss us? Matthew 5 says, you, speaking to the church, are the light of the world, a city set on the hill that cannot be hidden. Are we a light on the hill in Windsor that cannot be hidden? Do people know us for our good deeds and what we stand for? Number eight, Chris alluded to this in the uh, announcements. Do guests feel welcome? If you're new with us here today, we really 
hope that you sense Christ. We want you to feel welcome. This is referring to the Sunday morning environment, not the delivery of the word. The word is going to convict, but we don't want to offend you in any way with our personalities or our hairstyles or anything like that. Hebrews 13 says, Let the love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Question number nine, are people developing quality friendships inside the church? One of our core values is community. Are you developing quality friendships inside this church? I know we are. It's been a blessing. James 5 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. We can only have that kind of lifting up one another to the throne of grace when there's relationships, when we're in community with one another. Developing friendships. Number 10, last three, are we identifying and developing leadership? Are we as a church developing and identifying leadership? We are constantly looking for leaders to lead. We so desire to see other churches planted. Love to partner with Greeley on a church in Eaton someday. Loveland, Colorado, we'd love to see a church. And we need to develop and raise up leaders. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, And the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Eleventh question, are we kingdom-minded with our resources? I hope we are. We set aside 17% for missions. And by God's grace and by your sacrifice, we've been able, my goodness, we sent our lead pastor, our teaching pastor to Greeley. I'd say that's giving up resources, you know, and a third of our giving is sent to Greeley. And we want to be a church. We want to look at that gauge that says kingdom-minded resources. And are we hanging on to resources like this? Are we not willing to send money to Chicago when there's a need or Satine, Czech Republic or Creekside in Oregon? It's not our money. We want to be about the bigger picture of the kingdom. 2 Corinthians 8 will be here in a couple of months. It says, For I testify that according to their ability, they be in the Macedonian church. I'd love them to say it about the Windsor Community Church. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much entreaty for the favor of participation for the support of the saints. We want to be about something beyond Windsor, the town of Windsor. We want to be good stewards with what we've got in Windsor. But we want to be a part of the bigger picture. Last but not least, are we honestly reevaluating the effectiveness of everything we do in light of our mission? Are we really willing to say that there's no sacrificial cows? That there's no ministry that is untouchable? There's ministries that have been in churches for decades that were, that were effective for a few years that are still existing. Are we willing to continually and honestly reevaluate the effectiveness of everything we do in light of our mission. And what's our primary mission? It's making disciples. Do we have the courage to reevaluate everything? It's hard. Brothers and sisters, I gotta tell you, from my standpoint, from being an elder, but I can speak for Dean and Chris and Danny as well, there's nothing harder 
than trying to steer a ship and keep things on our plate that God has called us to do and keep peripheral things off. Now, two years ago, we came to you and we made a mess of things. We changed our core values. We changed our mission statement. Remember that? Yeah, some of you are still in counseling for that. It was horrible. And our heart is, is to recognize that the Lord has made each of us uniquely and fearfully and wonderfully. And that he has gifted you and given you passions that are unique to you. And there's things that he puts on your heart that you just can't let go of. We've had a few of those this year that we've embraced. And we want to encourage you in that giftedness. And we want to empower you, if I can use that word. But we don't want to make everything a program. And i got to tell you, I don't even know what that looks like. But just know that that's a heart. And keep talking to us and know that, that we don't want to rob you of your joy in doing anything that you're gifted to do. We just want to have controlled chaos instead of just chaos. I can promise you that we as a church are going to get out of bounds on all 12 of these gauges. It's going to happen. But it doesn't mean that when we run out of gas or the battery's dead that we don't try to fix it we talk about it. These questions are fair game for you all to ask the pastor board and for us to ask you. And I would encourage you to take these questions. And if there's anything on there that resonates in your heart that you feel like we need to hear about in some way, that we are so far off that that gauge has been like this forever, and we're not even close, please let us know. Okay? Worship team, would you make your way up? Let's bow our heads. Father, we worship you and we adore you, we praise you. We thank you that you have chosen to use us, the church, as your chosen vehicle for bringing the good news of Jesus Christ, the life-saving gospel, to this lost and dying world. And Lord, there are so many things you've called us to. There's so many things that are important, and I would even say they're, they're critical. They're the disciplines of the, of the Christian walk. And Lord, we want to worship you, the one who's worthy 24-7. God, we want to to encounter you and to know you in a more intimate way by spending time learning and meditating upon your word. We desire to be obedient. We thank you that you've given us the power of your Holy Spirit. But Lord, I just pray that you would help us understand like we've never understood before. Lord, help me understand, like I've never understood before, what it is, what the main thing is that you've called us to, and that is to make disciples. And we thank you, God, that you've given us everything we need for life and godliness. We thank you that you're worthy of all honor and praise and glory now and forevermore. Amen.